seriously? Do we serve God with urgency and vigor? Um, and one of the things that came up to me as I was studying this week and as I looked at the passage of Scripture that I'm looking at, it's like a couple reoccurring thoughts keep coming up. Number one, he keeps telling Timothy, 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 keeps telling Timothy a host of the same things. How many of you have children? How many of you have had to tell your kids over and over and over the same things? Because you're trying to make them get it in some way, shape, or form? I think it relates. Because he keeps saying it over and over and over again. And then what he's saying keeps getting brought up. Have faith. Hold dear to the faith. Hold on to it. Cling to it. You know, don't let it out of your hands. You know what it is. Now grasp it and don't let go of it and proclaim it. The message hasn't changed. He keeps telling the message over and over and over again, but then the message isn't changing either. And it's a reminder that all of us, sometimes we need the reminder because maybe we're not quite doing it to the fulfillment or the expectation level that Christ has for us. So he tells us again and again and again, and he's not changing his message. And so I wonder if we're committed as we ought to be, if we're committed to the point that God wants us to be committed. So before we get started this morning, I want to just look at verses 13 through 18. I'll read them rather quickly, and then we'll get in just kind of breaking apart. And let me just tell you, this morning's message is just line by line. Just consider each line. And that's the message. Because it's the message that Paul was imparting to Timothy, and we'll look at that in just a moment. So Lord... I ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We ask God that you would, Lord, teach us those things that we need to learn. Remind us of those things that may, whereby we may have once learned them and forgot them or have not practiced them. I ask God that you'd help us to be honest about where we're at in our walk with you and might we be obedient to make changes where necessary. So God, speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at verses 13 through 18, if you would follow along as I read them, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Version. (coughs) It says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Pagelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the house of the Vanessa Forest, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. And you know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Man, there's just a really, there's like two huge nuggets in this short passage. And we're going to get to them in just a moment. But the first thing there, and I really want to just jump on four phrases from each of, the, each of the verses here. And the first one is this. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Hold on to the, whole, the pattern of sound teaching. So it's the idea, if I hand you something, say, hold this for a minute, it's longer than a minute. You're holding on to it until you can't put it down any longer. And for us as believers, we're holding on to something until God calls us home. Right? 
we're holding on to it and holding on to it and we're not letting go of it. It's always right there. So here's the thing. When you're holding on to something, it kind of hinders you from doing other things, right? And if I say hold this box and you're saying, well, I really need a vacuum. In order for me to vacuum, I have to put the box down. But he's saying, wait a minute. This ought to be so important in your life. This ought to be so urgent in your life that you're holding on to it. You're never putting it down. The idea of holding on means to hold fast to it. It means you're not letting go of it. So, and here's the other idea. In fact, we see just a little glimpse of what this means by looking at Titus chapter 2. I want to just read these couple of quick verses here. Titus chapter 2. Uh, Titus, Philemon, right there, just the next one over here. Titus, and my pages are sticking. There you go. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. You're to proclaim these things. This thing that you're holding on to, that's the thing that you're, that you're proclaiming. And verse 8, your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. So we are so clinging to what we know is truth, what we know is right, that even if someone were to falsely accuse us, there's no ground for their accusation. We are holding to what we know is truth and what we know is right. So here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. So now we know what a pattern is. Now I'll tell you one thing I am not is a seamstress. I don't know how to sew. I have no interest in learning how to sew. I'll give that to the girls. Uh, I have no idea. If you were to give me a pattern for anything type sewing stuff, it's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But I know what a pattern is, right? We all know what a pattern is. Now, if you give me a pattern for something with wood, and it's a jig of some sort, I can copy it. But here's the thing. It's a pattern that Paul gave to Timothy regarding the gospel, regarding the truth of God's word. He says, hold on to this pattern. What is the usefulness of a pattern? Think about that just for a moment before we go on. What do you do with a pattern? You make what? Copies. Isn't that, it's a really hard trick question. No, it's not. We make copies with patterns. See, when a, someone has a pattern, they can reduplicate it over and over and over and over again. But if you lose the pattern and you haven't memorized it, you're stuck. And I'm certain that maybe has happened sometime in the past with one of the seamstresses. You know, they, they put it in a file somewhere and say, I'll come back to this later. And it's like, oh, where'd I go? You're stuck. They didn't have Google. Sorry, they have Bing. They didn't have whatever it is that you search for. But here's the thing what he's holding on to. He says, hold tight to this pattern. What is this pattern of? The gospel, the word of God, the truth found in scripture, of sound teaching. Why? Because with this pattern, you are going to reduplicate it in the lives of others. Isn't that interesting? He says, hold on to a pattern. Don't let this pattern be lost from your hands. In other words, be loyal to God's word. 
God's work has been accomplished throughout the ages by people who have stood strong and unashamed because they held on to it, because they held fast to it, because they've taken what they've learned and they've reduplicated it in the lives of others. But he doesn't stop there. He says how to do this. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In faith. We know what faith is. We know what love is. So this is how we're to hold on to it. In faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11 talks about it. We could take the time to go and do a study on faith, but in a nutshell, what are you doing with faith? The hope of things seen, uh, th- things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. I mean, you have faith that you know that chair is going to hold you. You have faith that when you go out there, your car is going to start. We have faith for a lot of things, but do we have faith in God? Do we have faith that it's just a, it's a matter of? And here's the other thing, and I'll just kind of bounce on this just for a moment. Hebrews 11 says, "They that come to God must believe that He exists and that He is a." rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why would I go to God and ask him anything if I have no faith that he's going to do it? That's just a waste of breath and time. We go to him because we trust that he is going to do it. He is going to fix it. He is going to provide. He is going to do what he says he alone is able to do. So when you come to God, you believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is our faith demonstrated and practiced in our day-to-day living. So he says, hold on to this pattern of sound teaching in faith and in love. There are those that don't want to receive the pattern. There are those who don't want to uh, have it reduplicated in their lives. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. They need to hear it anyway because we're holding on to it so that we can reduplicate this pattern of sound teaching in the lives of others. But then he goes on to verse 14, and here's another cool nugget. He says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, we know what a deposit is. Some of you are thinking, I don't deposit enough. But we know what a deposit is. You know, most of us will go once a week to deposit a check into our accounts, and then with that account we pay bills, we do life, etc., etc. There's this deposit. And he says to guard it. I think, in my mind, it goes back to the days of wagon trains. And uh, they're going, and they're, you know, Lone Rangers going out there to, you know, save somebody that's just been robbed or whatever, you know, gun smoke or whatever one you want to. I love all those old black and whites. I love them. Here's the deal he says, You have a deposit, guard it. Now, here's the thing. Some people would say, well, what is this deposit? What does that really mean? Well, he really answers his own question. or The, the, the question is answered here. <clears throat> he says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's the gospel. When you got this deposit of the gospel, he began to live inside you. And we're to guard that. And we're to store it. And we're to protect it. So that it is not taken away. Now, we know doctrinally we don't lose our salvation, right? God's word says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Does that mean until you screw up? No. You got it. We're all going to screw up. We're all going to make mistakes. 
But God's Word says everlasting life when we trust Him. So we have this gospel deposit within us that God says to guard through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. I don't know about you, but I can't hold on to something forever on my own. At some point, I'm going to get tired. At some point, I'm going to be distracted. At some point, someone else is going to try to take it from me. But whatever the reason, I can't hold something forever unless someone else is helping me hold it. And that's the Holy Spirit. He says, through the Holy Spirit, guard this. Protect it. Why? Here's the deal. If someone stands up here and paints a painting, that's their painting. I don't have the right to come in there and redo it and add a few colors to it and then cross out their name at the bottom and put my name on it, right? That's not mine. That's not my deposit. I don't have the right, if someone says, hey, I'm an architect, I'm going to give you these blueprints of the building, I'm going to take the blueprints, put them into my, my computer system and change it all up and then put my name on it even though I didn't do hardly you know, one minuscule bit of it. It's not mine, right? But he says, guard this so that nobody else alters it. It's the idea of holding on to it, keeping it pure, keeping it right, keeping it correct. That's the idea in the language, is that we are holding this so that it is not smeared, so that it is not distorted, so that it is not changed. That's why we need to hold it. Just yesterday, I got a text from uh, someone who was down in the city, and they were doing some ministry, and another group came upon them and started harassing them. And they showed me the video of what was taking place. I'm like, wow. And what this group was doing was taking several portions of Scripture and totally twisting them around to mean something completely different. Somebody distorted the truth. Somebody smeared what was right. Somebody changed what we know was correct. And it changed everything. That's why he says, hold on to it. Protect it. Guard this deposit that you've been entrusted with through the Holy Spirit who lives within you. As we come into verse 15, he builds on this. He says, you know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. Now, I have no clue who Phagellus is, or if I'm saying his name correctly. Um, I've heard a couple different pronunciations. Maybe God knows how to pronounce that name. Can you imagine parents naming your kid, Hey, Fagellus, get over here. I have no clue who this guy was. Or Hermogenes. In fact, the Word of God really doesn't tell us anything about him. Other than they were what? Deserters. They were deserters. I don't know, but from the context, I'm getting an idea maybe that there are those who are not holding to the truth. They didn't come to Paul's aid. They didn't come to his support. They didn't encourage him. They left and did nothing with him. So Phagellus and Hermogenes, they deserted, me, Paul says. Let's do a little bit of backtracking just for a moment. Where was Paul during this writing? Prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. But here's something to consider. 
When does somebody need somebody? When they're going through problems, difficult times, trials. I have found in my life that I have helped a lot of people that I don't necessarily agree with 100%. In our minds, we can always, we think, stereotype that person and figure out why they're in that situation. I mean, after all, that guy down there on the, down the streets that's homeless and living in a tent on the side of the road, it's probably because he's a complete drug addict. I mean, isn't that what goes to our mind? Let's be honest. Yeah, we just assume. We assume. We assume the worst. And it's sometimes not the case. I was watching a documentary the other day. It's called Tent City USA. And there's all kinds of different tent cities where the homeless live. There's all kinds of places where they gather and so forth. But I was watching it and it was a documentary documenting different home sites of the homeless. This one, it was just kind of anybody was welcome. Anybody and everybody could come in. They can do the thing. They can pitch a tent. They can put up their tarps. They can, you know, build their little crate houses, whatever they want. Whatever, whatever they want to do, it's, 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 it's whatever. This one here, it's 90% veterans who are struggling. This one here is druggies. This one here is just people who are on the, down on their luck. But the thing that was interesting about each of these home sites was this. This one and this one and this one over here, you can't be here unless you have a job. So these are filled full of people, hundreds of people, who are working every day. Every day. They went to a job and they come back to the tent every night because they just couldn't quite get enough to get out of the struggle that they were in. They weren't lazy. They were certainly not lazy. Let me back up just for a second. Maybe I'm going to meddling just for a second, but I want to meddle just for a moment. If you've ever been in a scenario where you've had your power turned off, or your lights turned, your light power, your gas, whatever turned off, something came up, you had a car breakdown, so you didn't get this paid, and then they shut it off. Well, when you get those things shut off, well, now you have to have not only amount to pay that to turn it back on, but now you have to have double for the deposit. And you just went through several breakdowns. How do you do that sometimes when you're young, when you don't have a great income? It starts to compile, and it starts to get worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden, the hope is gone. Some of these camps are filled with people who are hard workers, but had struggles, went problems. But in our minds, they're just druggies. Some of them aren't. And when someone's going through a struggle, it's not the time you turn your back on them. You don't assume that their struggle is because of bad choices in every circumstance. You know how you find out which is the case? There you go. You talk. You simply have a conversation. And you can begin to understand what is the root of the issue. But you know what you find out in those circumstances? I've said it before. Compassion without action is just empathy. Some of us are empathetic towards other circumstances, people's circumstances, but we're not compassionate because we put no action behind it. Folks, all I don't know a whole lot about Phagellus and Hermogenes, 
I'm just making assumptions here, but they obviously disagreed with Paul. They didn't go out of their way to help him, encourage him. They didn't help him, you know, encourage him during his struggles. They deserted him. Let's not be deserters. Let's make the time, take the time to help those who need encouragement. Now, he says this, something else in verse 15. He says, you know that all these in the province deserted me. But verse 16 says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of, household of Onesphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. There are three things here that I think we need to jump out with. He says, I want the Lord to grant mercy to this household. He says, for he refreshed me. He was profit-bearing, in other words. He said, first of all, he said, Onesiphorus refreshed me. I don't know what, that, what he did, other than his presence, but I know this, that when someone is struggling, oftentimes just your very presence is refreshing to someone going through a struggle. Just your presence. Just being there. Not necessarily saying anything. Not necessarily solving any problems. But just simply being there. Well, two deserted, one did not. And he said, he refreshed me. Not only that, he said, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of me. That is huge, folks. How do I know this? Well, it says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. What's he saying here? <clears throat> Let's put it in the year 2020. Someone you know is in jail. I ain't going to go see him. He's in jail. I mean, did you hear? I mean, he got arrested. He got put in jail. I'm not going to see him. Let him rot. He, was, he did something stupid. He did this. He did that. I'm, I'm not going to... No, not doing that. Onesiphorus said, I'm not ashamed of his chains. You know what? I don't care that he's in jail. I don't care that he's sitting in a prison locked up. I'm still going to see him. And by the way, he searched him out. When the word got out that He's, that Paul was in a Roman jail. Didn't know exactly where, it was, where he was at. He, God's word said that he searched for him. He says, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, verse 17, he diligently searched for me and found me. He had to go looking for him. Can I just say it this way? He went out of his way, took of his time to go encourage Paul. Who are we encouraging? I mean, sometimes we'll encourage somebody if it's convenient. I've got nothing else to do. I'm bored. But who is it that needs your encouragement? Maybe it is because of poor choices. Maybe it is because of circumstances that they've gone through. But who will you be an onesephorus to? Can't say the word. Who will you be a picture of that man to? Who will you, knowing that it's difficult, go out of your way to encourage? Because he needs to be refreshed. Despite his circumstances. 
others deserted, he searched them out and found them. Can I say this during this time? We've talked about the Gnostics. We've talked about different groups that were present during this time when Paul's imprisonment through 1 Timothy. But false doctrine was being taught. And some were ashamed of it. Don't know if that was Phagellus and Hermogenes, but I can guarantee you that Paul would have wished for, for with everything within him that he wasn't sitting in a jail somewhere. I'm sure Paul would have been on, wanting to be out on the front lines combating heresy. But he was stuck there. And God used a man to encourage him and refresh him in a jail. Who does God want you to encourage? Who needs your encouragement? So he says, He searched me for me and found me in Rome. And then as we come into verse 18, he says, May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. Well, mercy from him, that's God, on that day. You know very well how much, <clears throat> how much he ministered at Ephesus. Onesiphorus had a reputation of being a minister. What's our reputation? He said, y'all know how he ministered in Ephesus. Y'all know that. <clears throat> Someone said, if we have a reputation, it's for one reason. We've earned it. And if someone were to say your name, what's the first thought that comes to mind? Encourager? Jerk? Hypocrite? Kind? What would come to their mind? Who does God and you know you to be? Onesephorus had a reputation of being a minister. He was a minister to the people around him. He served in Ephesus. When in Rome, he went and found out where Paul was so he could go refresh him. Who are we serving? What's our reputation as a child of God? As we think about just this short passage, just, just, a couple, not, not, just a couple nuggets here. Are you holding on to the gospel, the word of truth, that sound teaching that you know is right? Or have you put it down? How do I know this? You begin to accept the things now that you didn't used to accept. You used, the things that you used to blush at, you don't no longer blush at it. The things that you used to think were terrible, now it's like, eh, it's not so bad. Are you still holding on tight to sound teaching? Number two, are you guarding that? Are you holding fast to that? Number three, are you a deserter or an encourager? And number four, are you one who has a great reputation as being a minister to those around you or not? What is your reputation? I hope that we can walk away and say there's a few things here that jump out at us, some things that we need to prove on. But that's between us and God. Let's pray.